Hello, my name is Jesse, and we're reading from God's Word today, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you to the worship team. And thank you for Nathan for being on the ball. <laughs> I don't know where he is, but I appreciate that uh, vigor on a Sunday morning. Okay, if we haven't met, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. I just want to welcome you to, to Central Heights, to our gathering. And especially if you're new here, uh, if you're exploring who Jesus is, uh, we just want to let you know that we've prayed for you and that we've expected you, and we've actually prayed for each and every one of you in each and every seat, and that God would, would reveal himself to you today. And so I'm excited for what he has in store, especially as we jump back into our teaching series today in 1 John, which is a book of the Bible that has some of the most soaring and beautiful language about who God is and what God is like in the entire Bible. I mean, amazing statements about the God that is here in this room, in this moment, the God that we're worshiping, the God we're speaking about from the scriptures, that it has this amazing language about who God is and what he's like, and that we get to be brought into that as we dive in week after week into this letter. But at the same time, 1 John is also known for its gritty language, its down-to-earth teaching. It's got some of the most gritty teaching about what it looks like to follow Jesus and what it doesn't look like to follow Jesus in the entire Bible, all encapsulated in this five-chapter letter that a man named John wrote to people who are trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus amidst the world and to do that together. And we've already seen John teach in this way already in just the first two chapters of this letter. John is a man who, who knew Jesus personally. He's a man who saw Jesus with his own eyes when Jesus walked on earth. He's a man who saw the creases in his face and the wind in his hair. He touched Jesus. He heard his voice with his own ears. John is someone who walked with Jesus. And he's not pulling any punches in his letter. and He's not holding anything back when it comes to following Jesus and being the church. And the question is why? Why is John write like this? Why does John speak like this? And the answer very clearly is that he wants other people to experience what he's experienced of Jesus too. He wants them to enjoy Jesus in the same way that he enjoyed him. He's a spiritual father with this burden for the people he's writing to. He wants them to know Jesus deeply and truly. And he wants to know them to know what it looks like to follow Jesus and what it means to be the church amidst the world. That's the burden on his heart. That's the pastor's heart that we see as John writes. That what lies behind everything he says and everything he writes. And you know what? It's my heart as one of your pastors too. See, I want you to catch a vision of Jesus that makes you love him and want to know him more than you currently do. A vision so powerful enough that it makes you want to give your life away to Jesus and his purposes in the world. That's my heart for you as one of your pastors. One of the things I pray for you 
week in and week out. And I say all that because today we're talking about something we tend to struggle with and oftentimes we can misunderstand and even misapply when it comes to talking about our life with God and actually going and living that life out. And that something is doing what Jesus says. It's doing what Jesus says. It's obedience. It's listening to what God says in the Bible and then putting it into practice in our lives, not just in this room or in moments when we're bumping shoulders with people who also follow in, Je- follow in Jesus' footsteps, but in every part, in every area of our lives, that we are people who listen to God and put into practice what he has revealed about himself and his way in the Bible. That's the focus of today as we return to 1 John and we pick up John's teaching in chapter 2, verse 3. It's on the screen behind me where John says this, we know that we have come to know him. He's talking about Jesus if we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. And so one of the ways John is going to write throughout his letter is that he's going to start by casting a vision for what it looks like to follow Jesus, saying this is what it looks like to know and love and to follow Jesus. And then very quickly, he's going to follow that up by showing you what it doesn't look like to follow Jesus. This is what it doesn't look like to walk in Jesus' way. This is what it doesn't look like to, to know him and love him and follow him. John's already done that in chapter 1, and he's doing so here again as we move deeper into chapter 2. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus, John says. You obey him. You do what he says. You keep his commands. John casts this vision for us that says following Jesus is a marriage between faith and obedience. That you put your faith in Jesus. That's the starting point into a life with Jesus. You you put your faith and your trust in him. That you believe who he says he is. That he did come to earth. He did live a perfect life. That he did die in your place. Was put in a tomb. And then three days later he came back to life. And then walked on earth in a resurrected body for 40 days before he went back to heaven. Where he now sits on the throne at the right hand of the father. Ruling and reigning over everything. That you put your faith in that Jesus, in who he is and what he's done. And that the the life of faith is not just being saved from something, it's actually being saved into a life with him. And that you follow up your faith in Jesus by putting his teaching into practice in your life. And so John's vision of discipleship is both trusting in Jesus and then doing what Jesus says. How do you feel about that? Be honest. How do you feel about that? What's your first reaction to hearing this teaching out of the voice of John, out of this letter, and out of my mouth? What's your first thing that's going through your mind? Is it joy? Yes, I get to obey Jesus and lay my life down for him to pick up my cross and carry it every day. I'm so happy. Is it joy or is it maybe something more like defensiveness, dislike, or even resentment. Like, who is, who is Jesus to tell me what to do? He's some guy who lived on another part of the world thousands of years ago. Like, who is he to tell me what to do? Or maybe you're neither overjoyed or defensive, but you're somewhere in the middle, and you're kind of like, I don't know, I'm still waiting to see what I think about all this. I'm still exploring whether or not I can actually trust Jesus with my life. I don't even know if I want to obey him yet. 
So maybe you're somewhere in the middle. I don't know what that lands for you, but truthfully, nobody gets very excited about talking about obedience. It's not a topic we gravitate to or we like that much. It's not something that you're excited about, I bet, sitting in this room right here, right now. You're probably like, whoo, I'm so glad I came to church today. We're talking about obedience. Especially in the Western world, it's hard to talk about this. We struggle with this idea of someone having authority over us and telling us what to do and having to do what they say. See, the widespread belief in our cultural moment is that the best life is the life that's independent of anyone telling you who you are and what what you're supposed to do. It's the life where no one tells you what to do, where you get to be the leader of your life and I get to be the creator of my own moral vision. This is the dominant belief system in our culture today. It's widespread, it's powerful, it's unrelenting, and we can't avoid it. So you may think you're immune to it, but you're not immune to it because you live within the culture that believes this. We're not immune to having this seep into us and and having this soak in us. We're not immune to it in the church, A, because we're human and the power of sin is at work in us, pulling us in this direction, and B, because we live within this culture that's soaked with this and it gets into us without us even thinking about it or sometimes being aware that it's actually happening. Together, these two things can affect how we think about and respond to what John is saying about following Jesus. And so right from the outset, let's just be honest, obeying Jesus is challenging. It's challenging. It's not easy. See, you might be here, as I said, exploring who Jesus is, and you're trying to figure out what it looks like to follow him. Or you may be here, and you love Jesus, and you really do want to do what he says. But can anyone in here really say that obedience, surrender, and self-denial is easy? Can anyone say that? Because I can't. It's not easy. It's not a simple thing. This call to following Jesus that marries trust and obedience is not easy. At the best of times, isn't it challenging to put yourself under the authority of someone else and let them lead you? At the best of times, it's hard. And yet John is saying this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. So how do we start? How do we begin this conversation? Well, I think the first step is acknowledging that it's hard. It's being real with the fact that this is a a challenging thing to do. But I think a better starting place to kind of get us going in in this conversation is to focus in on something we find tucked away in verse 3. When John writes, we know that we have come to know him. Notice the personal nature of this language. See, John's concern, first and foremost, is not what we do. It's that we know the person of Jesus. It's that we know him. See, knowing Jesus is where this all begins. And I remember sitting with a mentor of mine one time, and it was one of the first times we met. And he asked me this question. He's like, hey, Dave, like, what do you want out of this relationship? Like, we're carving out this time, and we want to maximize it. So what do you want out of this relationship? And I, and I had come prepared, and so I had a whole list of things that I wanted to talk about. And so I pulled out this list, and I just started listing things. I was like, hey, I want to learn about atonement theology. I want to understand the Trinity, about how God is three in one. I want to learn how to pastor people in today's culture. I want to understand what spiritual formation is. And, and how do we do that well in a world that, that is, is like ours? 
What do you see the top three issues facing the church today and, and why? And how can, the, how can pastors and leaders and, and God's people meet those? And it's kept going on and on. I had this long list. And my, my mentor just waited there. And he waited patiently for me, probably internally rolling his eyes. But he waited. And when I was finally done, he took a deep breath and he said something I'll never forget. He said, hey, Dave, this is all great stuff. And we can sure talk about that, but how about this? How about I help you know Jesus better? How would I help you know the person of Jesus better? Because if you start there, everything else is going to start to fall into place. I'll never forget that, that comment. It shook me. And you and I, we can't forget it either. We can't. And I'm going to stand here week in and week out, and I'm going to beat this drum until you're so tired of it. It's all about knowing the person of Jesus. And we can't forget that, especially when we're talking about something like obedience. Because it's so easy to get focused on the doing part and forget the relational part, isn't it? To only hear as you sit here, do what Jesus says and forget that this whole thing is about knowing the one who loves you and died for you. That following Jesus and first and foremost about knowing him. It's not about knowing things about him or being able to recite theological truths about him. It's about knowing the person of Jesus on the level of relationship. You know, when Jesus launched his ministry and he's like, I got, went up to the, the, this mountain and he was praying to the Father and like, God, give me, Father, give me 12 people to, to change the world, to walk with me, to, to, to learn from me, to, to learn what it looks like to embody the kingdom of God. He comes down the mountain and, and one of the stories about Jesus says the first thing on the job description of the people that Jesus calls to himself is that so that they might be with him. So Mark writes in his gospel that Jesus goes up on this mountainside. He calls to himself those he wanted to follow him. They came and he appointed them that they might be with him. Relationship was first. The doing, the preaching, the, the casting out of demons, the healing, that came second. Doing what Jesus says, obedience starts with your relationship with Jesus. Your doing begins with knowing. This is the vision of Jesus. This is the vision of John. And we have to get this part right. Or else you're going to hear the call to do what Jesus says and you're going to leave here today and all you're going to have heard is do more, try harder, earn God's favor. We'll hear, keep his commands and get fixated on that. Thinking that Christianity, all that is is a list of do's and don'ts. A bunch of rules about what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. And you're going to leave here and go, Christianity, following Jesus is nothing but a burden when it's meant to be the most beautiful blessing there is. And in a world where you and I are already carrying burdens, the idea of having more placed on our shoulders from some guy named Jesus who lived thousands of years ago it's just too much to take because I need burdens lifted off me. I don't need them put on me, right? So that's why we need to start with relationship and enter into the conversation about obedience because in that spot because any other starting point is going to get us off on the wrong foot. An author named Henry Now, and he was a, prof a university professor and writer, he writes this, the most important question for us is not how many people take you seriously, how much are you going to accomplish, can you show some results, but are you in love with Jesus? 
I want to ask you that question today. Are you in love with Jesus? Like, don't respond too quickly. Don't just nod your head because that's what you're supposed to do. Sit with that. Do you love Jesus? Are you in love with him? Do you love him or do you love what he can give you? Do you love the doctrine about him or do you love the person of Jesus? Both are important, but do you love the person of Jesus? Are you in love with Jesus? Then here's the follow-up question to that. Does the way you live your life reveal that? Does the way you live your life reveal that? Does your life speak of your love for Jesus? Do you listen to his voice and what he tells you to do? Are you willing to go where he says go? Are you willing to stop doing something or start doing something for him? Have you rearranged your priorities and schedule to spend time with him? Do you put into practice what he teaches? Does your life speak about the love that you have for Jesus? Because that's where John's pushing us. In this passage, he pushes us in this direction. He wants us to self-diagnose. Which camp do I fall into? Am I a verse 3 person or am I a verse 4 person? Am I someone who lives under the teaching of Jesus? Or am I someone who says I know Jesus but doesn't do what he says? See, John is writing to a specific group of people in verse 4. There's this group of people in the church, they had heard the message of Jesus and they had fallen in love with him and then they had left the church and then they had come back and they were a group of people who said with their mouths, I believe in and I know Jesus, but their actions were speaking otherwise. They actually held a belief system that said, hey, I know Jesus, but I refuse to live under his authority and not do what he says and I'm okay with that. I believe that's the way to follow Jesus. That's this group of people they, f- they believed that they didn't have to listen to Jesus, that they in fact had found a truer way of following Jesus and they were trying to recruit people in the church onto their belief system. Saying, hey, we got the better way to follow Jesus. We're gonna do it this way. Come join us. And the result was that people in the church were questioning like, which is the right way? Which is the way that I'm supposed to go? That, like, I have this pastor named John telling me and he walked with Jesus, but I also have this group of people who I used to hang out with and follow Jesus with. Now they're telling me something different. And then they started to question, do I really know Jesus or not? And John pushes back against the thinking that is revealed in verse 4 and says, if you refuse to put yourself under the teaching and authority of Jesus and you habitually don't do what he says and you think it's okay, you're lying when you say you know Jesus. You do not actually know him. Because if you did know Jesus, you would do what he says. Not perfectly, No one can do it perfectly, but if you did know Jesus, what John is saying is that with God's help and by God's grace, you are seeking to live in the way of Jesus as revealed in the Bible, as taught by Jesus, as taught by John and the apostles like Paul and James and the others, that you are trying to do that with God's help and God's grace. You're seeking to do that. Those are the ones, John says, who truly know Jesus. And so John's exposing the falsehood of this group of teachers and he's giving the church a way at the same time to say, hey, this is what not to do, but here's a way to know if you're actually walking in the right way. And he does two things. He, in verse three, he says, do you keep Jesus' commands? And in verse six, he says, do you live as Jesus lived? Or try to with the help of God. Are you doing these things? And he says, if your answer is yes, then you do know Jesus. 
But if your answer is no, and I don't think I should, nor do I need to, then you actually don't know Jesus like you claim to. That's what John's teaching. Hard words. But his point is this, is that our obedience or our lack of it reveals something about our relationship with Jesus. See, doing what Jesus says and living like him is actually evidence, John says, that you really do know him. It's evidence that God has moved in your life. That he's changing you on the inside to look more and more like Jesus and is helping you through the power of his spirit to follow Jesus. Again, not perfectly, but you're learning to follow Jesus in greater and greater ways and there's heightened obedience in your life. That's what John's saying and we need to see this and we need to take it seriously because according to Jesus, what we do with his teaching reveals whether we are truly his follower or not. Jesus said it this way, In the gospel, in a book of the Bible called John, it says, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Hold means to live under the authority of Jesus' teaching. That our life is bent towards him and what he says rather than asking Jesus to bend to us. It means to continue believing what Jesus has said and putting that into practice in your life. And so here's the reality is that you and I, we can say a lot of things. We can say a lot of true things, things that line up with God's heart and God's truth, but it's our response to Jesus and his teaching that actually, John says, marks us out as his follower. A while back, I was going for a walk around this neighborhood, and as I was walking along one of the streets, there was this house to my right, and on the, it had its front porch, and the, the, the front porch was like cluttered, like it had... Um, chairs and bikes and sofas and all this stuff, but on the floor of the porch, as I glanced to my right, there was a person lying there. And I couldn't tell if that person was asleep or if they were unconscious, they'd fallen, or they, or they, they were dead. Like, I didn't, I didn't know. And, and so, to be honest, I was like, oh my goodness, that's really scary. Like, what's going on over there? And I was, I was afraid of, like, if I went over there, what, what, what was I going to experience? Like, I'm going to see my first dead person? That's not on TV. Is that, is that what's going to happen? And so I was super concerned, but then I was like, I don't want to go over there. It's a little scary. So I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to keep walking. And so I did. And I just kept walking. But I couldn't shrug off the image of that person lying there. I just couldn't shrug it off. And, and God wouldn't let me forget it because I'm walking along and he, and he puts the story of the Good Samaritan in, in, into my mind. And if you know the story of the Good Samaritan, it's the story of a man who is uh, traveling on this road and some robbers jump out and they beat him up, they steal his stuff, and they leave him to to die on the side of the road. And this man's bleeding and his his life is in peril and he just needs some help. And and then the story goes on to say that, that this priest and this scribe show up. And in that culture, the priest and the scribe, they were the holy ones. They were the ones that had it all together. They knew all the right things to believe. They said all the right things. They modeled it for people or they were supposed to. And the story goes is that they just saw the man and they walked right past him and didn't do a thing. And I felt like in that moment, God was saying to me, like, do you want to be like the priest and the scribe, David? Do you want to be the kind of person who says all the right things, that stands in front of a group of people week in and week out and says all the right things, but you are the kind of person who doesn't actually go and do it? Is that who you want to be? I was like, well, no, I I don't don't want to be that kind of person. So I was like, okay. So I turned around and I went back to the house. 
my heart's racing because I'm afraid of what I'm going to find. And so I, I get to the, the house and I start creeping slowly forward. Like I'm like this like ninja trying to get really close, you know. And uh, I get closer and I get closer and my heart's just racing. And I get up right close to the porch and I see a mannequin. <laughs> it wasn't a human. It was a mannequin on the floor. And I was so relieved. I was like, oh, my goodness. Because I don't know what I was going to do if I actually saw a real human person. I was so relieved. And then I started to laugh. Because it isn't like God to teach you something so serious in a really humorous way. Because that's what he did in that moment for me. I was confronted in this moment how easy it is to have a gap between what I say and what I believe and what I do. And I'm confronted again in that moment, and maybe you're feeling confronted too, is that your response to the teaching of Jesus is a more powerful indicator of your relationship with Jesus than what you say. You can say a lot of stuff. John says, show me. Show me by how you live. It's easy to say you believe something, but it's much harder to live that belief out. And so there are many reasons for that. And a lot of them are going to be unique to you and to your story and your personality, but some of them are, are kind of for all of us. And I want to highlight two. The first one is this. We have always, as humans, been tempted to go our own way. It's been like that from the very beginning. Flip back to the very first book of the Bible, and what you see is that there is a powerful God who created the world out of nothing. That this God spoke, and night and day came into being. Time and seasons came into being. Land and sea, animals and people, they all just came into being by the power of the voice of God. And God, after he had done creating after seven days, sits down and goes, it's very good takes delight in what he created. And then he takes the first humans, Adam and Eve, and he puts them in a place called the Garden of Eden, and he gives them the responsibility to rule and to reign on earth in his place, to show the world who he is by how they live their lives. And he gives them the freedom and the, and the responsibility to create and to build culture and to spread the glory of Eden to every corner of the globe. And the only thing God said Adam and Eve could not do. The only limitation that he put on them was to not eat of the fruit of one tree in the garden. That's it. It's the only limitation that God put on them. And what happened? If you know the story of the Bible, then you know that Adam and Eve, one day they encountered a serpent. And the serpent was this embodiment of evil. And he plants doubt in their mind. He says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did he really say that? Isn't God holding out on you? And he plants doubt and then he gets their eyes on the fruit hanging from the tree and they see that it's desirous and it's beautiful and they choose to do the one thing that God said not to do. They eat the fruit and it fractures everything. And from the very beginning, what we see, the Bible tells us that we've been tempted to go our own way. To do our own thing, to say no to what God says in order to say yes to what seems right to us. Which is a theme that runs all the way through the, the pages of the, of the Bible. Showing up again and again in stories and in the actions of people that there is this part of us, the book of Judges, it's one of the books in the Old Testament, says that there's this part of us that just wants to do what is right in our own eyes. It says very clearly in the book of Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's like a mantra that gets repeated over and over. It's how the book ends is that everyone wanted to do what was right in their own eyes. And so it's not just that we've been tempted to go our own way. It's also that we have always wanted to do what was right in our own eyes. 
We want to have the final say, to be able to do what fits for us without anyone telling us what to do. And the power that drives us in this direction is what the Bible calls sin. Sin is what entered the world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and chose to go their own way. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what disorders our desires and turns our heart away from God and others to ourselves. Sin is what Jesus had to come and deal with in the most gruesome and horrific way because sin is that serious. The roots of why we don't do what God wants us to do run so deep that the only way it gets dealt with is if God does something deep within us to change us at the heart level. He has to move deep within you to change the operating system of your life. And unless he does that, then guess what? You and I are stuck in our sin and we are destined to live under the unrelenting burden of trying to do what God has asked us to do. We'll be crushed under the weight of that because no matter how hard we try, we can't live up to what God asks in our own strength. We need a power from outside ourselves. We need something from outside ourselves to move into our life to give us the ability to follow Jesus. And thankfully, God offers us this power in Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus showed up on the scene, a prophet, a man named Ezekiel, he spoke about what God would do in his people when Jesus came. He said this, it's not on the screen, but I'll read it. Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And listen to this. And I will put my spirit in you. And I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God does this, not you. God does this, not you. He has to come and live and die and rise again for us. He has to come and live inside you. He has to give you a new heart. He has to give you power to follow the teaching of God and obey his commands. True obedience is powered by God as he moves in you and in his people's hearts to follow him, to do what God asks and what God says we're supposed to do. And maybe, just maybe, that's why you struggle with obedience is because you've unhitched obedience from a paradigm of grace and power. You've separated the grace and power of God from the call to obedience. You make it about what you can do instead of what God can do in you. You make it about human effort instead of heaven-sent power working through you. What I want for you, what I want for myself, is that we would live as a church out of grace and power. And have that fuel our obedience. Have that help us to do what God asks us to do. And in fact, that's what John wants too. If you just read these verses in isolation, then all you hear is obedience. But John's starting point in his letter is not obedience. His starting point is grace and power. His words in our text are written within this context of grace and power. The first four verses of his letter... John tells us that God came for us in Jesus. God didn't have to. Jesus didn't have to come. He could have stayed in heaven and just washed us while around and be lost in our sin and be crushed under the burden of all that God has asked us to do to live up to the standard that he has placed. But Jesus didn't stay there. The Bible says he left heaven. He became human and took on the form of a servant. And he lived among us, showing us what God is like. 
The infinite, perfect, holy, beautiful God who created the universe came to us. And more than that, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says Jesus came to die for us. That nails were in his wrists and his feet. That he suffered in your place. That he breathed his last breath crying, it is finished. And then he rose again so that anyone could have a, a relationship with God both now and forever. To deal with the problem of sin so that we could have the power of God work through us to actually follow God. And not only that, John says Jesus is our advocate, that he is now sitting in the throne room of God and he is there and he is advocating for those who are his. So you stumbled this week? Jesus is like, I got you. This is my guy, Father. Remember, I died for them. Remember Bob? We know he struggles with this, but guess what, God? I, he's with me. That's grace. We get what we do not deserve and could never earn because of Jesus. He's rescued us from darkness and brought us into the light and he speaks for us before the Father. That's grace. And because Jesus went and did this, there's also power available too. Because through faith, when we put our trust in Jesus, guess what happens? As as Ezekiel said hundreds of years before, God promised that he would put his spirit, the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, into the people who follow him. He comes and lives in you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, resurrection power, comes and lives inside those who follow Jesus, which means you have help to do what you can't do on your own. It's not by your strength or your power. It's by the power of God working through you as you surrender to him, as you give your life over to him. He helps you to do what you can't do on your own. You are not on your own. The presence and the power and the person of God lives inside you if you follow Jesus. And we have the power to do what we can't do, what we can't do on our own, to do what Jesus says. And not just do it. Here's the best part. To grow in wanting to do it. Because over time, as you surrender your life to God, as you let him change you on the inside, he is going to birth new desires. Your love for him is going to grow. Your desire to actually do what he says is going to grow. He is going to lead you to a place where you actually want to obey God. Beautiful. Christianity. It's not about rule keeping. It's about grace-fueled obedience. It's about God-empowered obedience. And the moment you unhitch obedience from grace and power, it becomes religion. Religion places burdens on you. It's the belief system, conscious or unconscious, that says, I obey, I do the thing. I do what God says. I, I, I say my prayers. I, I do all these things for God that I see uh, and, and are taught in the Bible. I do And because of that, I'm accepted by God. I'm loved by him. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But the gospel comes along and blows that up and says, no, 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 Jesus died for you. He loves you. You're accepted by him. Period. And because of that, I go obey God. Radically different. Writer Dave Tomlinson says this. It's another thing that's on the screen. But listen closely. He says, perfection is not required of us. Honesty and the willingness to own up to what we are, this is what is required. When we finally receive this, when we outgrow our hankering after flawlessness, then we can discover the priceless joy of grace. We are accepted, accepted by that which is greater than us. However we name it, we are accepted, we are accepted, and that is all. See, This is the paradigm of grace and power. And when you live within that, when that becomes the paradigm out of which you live, it unleashes something within you to go and do what Jesus says. And so I hope today 
that what you don't hear is do more, be better, try harder, do, do, do. I hope you hear today that it's about surrendering your life to a person named Jesus who is worth giving up everything for because he is worth more than anything. He is worth giving up everything for because there's no one like him. So I hope you see that today is about surrendering your life to a person, that that's the catalyst, and that it's also about seeing that Jesus came to actually lift burdens off of us and show us a better way. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, very meaningful to me, is a famous verse, but carries weight here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Contrary to what we normally think, Jesus' way is not burdensome. It's the way of the easy yoke and the light burden. He's not trying to lay a heavy weight on your shoulders. He's actually trying to lift the burdens off you and help you learn to walk in his way. He's not expecting perfection. He's not asking you to crush it. He wants you to come to him, to put yourself in a position to know him and to learn from him, to learn what it looks like to follow him. And notice he's gentle. He's humble in heart. And he promises that as you do that, you'll find rest for your soul. Isn't that what we're all looking for? So start with Jesus. Come to him. Catch a vision of who he is. Ask him to help you live from his grace and power. Start there. But catch this. In this text today, John also says, get started by doing what Jesus does. Verse 5 says this, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. John says your love for Jesus grows as you obey Jesus. In a strange way, our obedience actually deepens and strengthens our love for Jesus. So get started. Get started by coming to Jesus, by anchoring your life in him. Spend time with him and then start doing what he says. Start learning the way of Jesus. Start letting him teach you what that looks like and watch how God will take that and use that and grow your love for him. Let me pray. Jesus, my deep prayer today is that nobody would leave here with heavy burdens. Feeling not good enough, feeling like they have to do better this week, that they have to try harder. I pray instead that by the power of your spirit, you would lift burdens off people and help them to see that your way is not what we think it is. It is the way of the easy yoke and light burden. Yes, it calls us to self-denial. Yes, it calls us to sacrifice. Yes, it calls us to obedience. But it's also the pathway to rest for our souls, pathway to the life with you. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you would be working in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. So as the band leads us, I want to invite the, the prayer teams up. And I don't know how God might be speaking to you, but is there any burden that you're carrying today that you need Jesus to lift? Is there something that Jesus has been asking you to do, telling you to do that you just haven't done and need to to bring that to our prayer team and to repent and ask God to change you and empower you to follow him? Is there 
Do you need power to follow Jesus? Well, I invite you to come this morning and be prayed for by our trusted people, and they'll pray for you or anything that God has on your mind. So as we respond in song, come, come for prayer and receive the rest and the power and the grace of God.